Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you by HITS Training and Consulting. Next year, August 13th through the 16th in Chicago, Illinois, the number one police canine conference in the world hands down the most amazing instructors there wait till you see the vendor show if you thought last year was big you haven't seen anything there's going to be vendors from every facet of the canine industry giveaways everything you can think of great times during the day great times at night ted and i'll be there working dog radio booth gonna have a good time hits 2019 don't wait register now hits canine.net uh, it's Ted. Eric and I make no bones about the fact that we love Dogtra. We've been using them even long before they were sponsors of the podcast. Uh, my favorite is the 1900S hands-free. I typically have the remote in my pocket, and I just put the other remote inside my glove or on my wrist, and I can use that thing all day long. It's fantastic. Dogtra is going to continue to be a sponsor of the podcast, and because of that, you guys get a discount. So if you head to Dogtra.com, any unit over $200, you'll get a 10% off if you use the discount code WDR10. That's Working Dog Radio 10, WDR10, Dogtra.com. Go get it. This episode of Working Dog Radio is being brought to you in part by RayAllen.com. RayAllen.com, your one-stop shop for everything dog-related. Not just canine, not just search and rescue, not just civilian sport, and not just pets. All of it. Everything related to a dog you can find at RayAllen.com. Be sure to mention the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off your next order. RayAllen.com for all things dogs. TrueScentK9.com. That's the letter K, the number nine. TrueScentK9.com. Actual explosive odors suspended in silica, not a pseudo. Hit them up. TrueScentK9.com. We here at Working Dog Radio are so proud of our relationship with Southern Coast Canine. Bill Heiser does some amazing work down there in Florida. Go see for yourself all they have to offer at www.southerncoastcanine.com. That's Southern Coast, the letter K, the number nine.com. Southern Coast Canine. Better training, better results, better dogs. Any working dog handler can tell you these dogs find magical and magnificent ways to hurt themselves. Hell, half of being a handler is keeping them from hurting themselves. Much like maintenance training, care and upkeep is an important ongoing duty of any working handler, no matter if it's military, law enforcement, search and rescue, or sport. I had a dual-purpose dog at the kennel that we were training that had a hot spot from a food allergy, and it was clearly bugging him. We had to continue working this dog. I didn't have time for him to take off. So our vet wanted to put him on some anti-inflammatory, and I'm usually pretty anti-med unless it's absolutely necessary. If you remember from the Janet Baker episode, certain medications will cause problems with detection, and I ain't got time for that. I found a product called Quick Term from the people over at VetCare. I used this spray once a day for a week, and it was gone completely. We had another dog get a puncture wound during a track on his chest, and it probably needed a staple, but it was in a weird area. So I clipped a fur around it and put this on there once a day for about 10 days and it was like it never happened. This isn't a Me Too product and it's not relabeled. It's specifically made for dogs and uh, horses. Nothing like it on the market and it works on wounds, but it also takes care of skin issues like flea dermatitis, hot spots like I mentioned, lick sores, granulomas, pad injuries, and the dreaded happy tail, which causes the back of your patrol cruiser to look like the OJ crime scene. It's a patented formula with a lot of science behind it. This shit really works. Due disclosure. I got tagged pretty bad and needed to get sewn back together a couple months ago. And I may have used it on myself, and it works great. We've all been there. I've eaten Bill Jack just to see what it tasted like, and I didn't die. 
The stuff is also temperature stable, so you can keep it in the patrol car with all the rest of your first aid supplies in the summer and the winter. And it'll help prevent small issues from becoming larger ones. And it'll keep the admins happy because the vet bills will go down. Head over to vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR. That's 10WDR and get 10% off. Get your working dogs working again and quicker with QuickDerm. Hey, everybody. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by Silver State Canine. Our good friend Cameron Ford over there at Silver State Canine. Their premier training facility located in Las Vegas. They have handler schools, trainer schools, and fully trained detection dogs available for sale. Due to their relationship with the Canine Cognition Center at Duke University, Silver State Canine training is all based on proven scientific methods that produce the most reliable dogs. They have yearly seminars and welcome people to attend them. Their staff has over 70 years of combined experience from military special operations to federal and local law backgrounds. Silver State Canine is the gold standard of detection dogs and canine training. Visit them at SilverStateCanine.com or on Facebook and Instagram at Silver State Canine. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and with me as always is Eric in Canton, Ohio. Eric, what's up? Uh, You know, I got a little toy Frenchie puppy. Dude, I saw uh, that. Yeah, it's cute as can be um, that I'm doing some pet dog training stuff for. I did a, a Yorkie earlier last year that uh, I thought was small. This this dog is um, is down there, man, but she isn't going to get any bigger. Real smart, though, man. She was just charging the marker on her today. The first, I guess, got her yesterday, and uh, she's doing real good with it. She'll probably bite you, I think. <laughs> I, you can do Mario ring with her. I mean, uh, I what's his name? Daniel, uh, my buddy from, uh, he's from either in Texas or, or Washington State. I can never keep up with him where he's at. But he had one that was uh, that would do bite work, would bite a sleeve like a fucking police dog. <laughs> if she was mine, I would teach throat bites. But uh, <laughs> Yes, not, so, ankle yeah. bites. <laughs> right. So I've been doing a lot of traveling. All of us have. Um, yes, yeah. Last week was crazy. I was home for one day, two different locations, and... Uh, traveling a lot i'm home this week sunday we head back out that's right yeah so we were in san antonio with the uh, hrd company doing a deployment or hey, highest deployment seminar for uh, bear county sheriff's office uh which was awesome and uh lots of teams we had several auditors that were there um turned out really great had some great feedback from people and i think they want to do it again next year so hopefully that and then we were home for what two days and then went to daytona florida where it was fucking freezing man it was like and everybody if you're listening to this you've already heard those episodes so we interviewed bradshaw and jem and uh the guys from blue line and then of course ryan morris uh from tripwire but god bless it was cold it was like 45 degrees i mean i went outside in the morning and could see my breath yeah i tell everybody it was when i got there was 84 (laughs) And then, you know, all of us, we went over to that restaurant. We're sitting out on the patio eating and drinking, and I can feel the wind coming in. In an hour and a half, it's 70, and by morning, it was like 38. Yeah, it was terrible. I could have done this shit at home. (laughs) Fucking Daytona. I've never seen more sad spring breakers. There was girls yeah, walking around trying. in yoga. I mean, they were walking around in yoga pants and and Uggs looking for Starbucks. It was it was awful. So yeah, the boy, I felt the bad boys for had the boys had tank tops and shorts. They were they were giving it their best, but just, <laughs> True story. it never got above fifty. Never once. Even Hagner had sleeves on. I mean, if Sean's got sleeves on, you know it's yeah. cold. 
<laughs> so we had right, a, right. Uh, you know, we did a, uh, a seminar and then we had a practicum too where we went uh, with the cats from Southern Coast. Danny brought us some green dogs and we had some guys from Volusia County there. Uh, nice dogs, green dogs, and then some experienced dogs. One of the dogs uh, was a bite that went viral recently. So uh, it was good to see those guys there. It was a lot of fun. Um, I think we're going to go back and we're going to do an HRD with Volusia County and I can't remember, maybe uh, Seminole County and then Marion County also with uh, Jay Nix and the kids down there, which uh, I think we're going to do that in October. We haven't set the date yet, but that's what it sounds like. Yeah, that would be pretty good. Yeah, and I came back and was home, came back Thursday night and left out Friday afternoon. So I wasn't around too long. Went to Jacksonville, North Carolina, which I'd never been to. Camp Lejeune is down that way. Probably the smallest airport I've ever been to. Um, <laughs> my home airport is pretty small, but there's like 10 gates now. This had three. Three gate, one, there like nobody there. It's crazy. It's so small. Um, but I liked it. It was brand new. Got in and out. Uh, went to Jacksonville. I did a uh, seminar with Aaron Taylor from Ridgeside. Aaron's been on here. Justin Rigney from Canine Services Unlimited. Justin has also been on here. And then Will. Whitting, who has uh, one of the Ridgeside Canine logo, or he has two of them actually down there in North Carolina and in right. um, Georgia. So we did. We had a big mixture, man. We had we had police dogs, handlers, some trainers, and we had a lot of pet dog trainers. So we we mixed it all up, did all kinds of things, um, did some grip work for some civilians with their personal dogs. You know, they wanted to have fun with their dogs. So it wasn't anybody trying to um, you know create anything with their dog other than have fun you know have a dog they have, a couple of people had some shepherds and they just wanted to enjoy a little bit more time with their dogs um we, i mean we were biting with a little healer and all kinds of stuff so it was cool man a lot of business stuff talked about a lot of training hacks you know people were throwing out there and i gotta tell you this man justin rigney the e-collar seminar he put on the e-collar class he put on there was way more value than what the folks paid for that class uh, i just sat there and absorbed all of it so uh, I really liked it, man. We had a good time. Yeah, I'm Justin, tired of shit, though, dude. <laughs> Justin's good with an e-collar for sure. For yeah. sure. Yep, I got back about 1.30 in the morning last night and back up to the doggy daycare and dealing with all that stuff first thing in the morning. So, yeah, I hit the ground. Whatever. I hit the ground on Thursday afternoon or Thursday morning, and I was at uh, the kennel running a handler school Thursday. I mean, I came home and changed, went straight to the kennel, was running handler school. I got two guys in school. Two, three, two or three in school. Three now, three in school. But when I got there, it was two, but still. Uh, so, I mean, just picked up right where it's like, all right, what's everybody doing? And they're like, who's this guy? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. But if you guys want to keep up with where we're at and what we're doing, either with HRD, with the seminars, at, or with Eric and I, what we're independently doing, where we're going to be, follow us on social media. You can find me at Ted underscore Summers on Instagram. Of course, then the podcast has its own working underscore dog underscore radio. And then the kennel is at Torchlight Canine, which is the letter K, the number nine. Eric, where are you? I'm at Van S K9, V A N E S S K9 on Instagram, Van S K9 Academy on Facebook. And if you haven't started following us on Patreon, uh, that's where we're starting to post stuff. Uh, like, for instance, we just posted a video on how to make your own BSD, which I'm sure is going to make some people super happy. It's a video that uh, one of our patrons or one of our friends sent us about how to build it so you don't have to buy it from um, a uh, sexual sex offender, offender. Sex offender panda. 
guy. So uh, mm. there's that. You know, speaking of which, they had a conference that was just happened, and they were allowing uh, defense attorneys in, which I thought was pretty interesting. Allowing defense, attor- defense attorneys in, I, I, I don't really care about that, but they were letting them record the instruction. Yeah. And then we're firing off questions and everything. Um, I, I don't understand the motivation behind that, but I guess when the conference is run by a sexual offender, that's what you get. And again, I said it on my um, my social media accounts. If you're law enforcement and you went to that seminar knowing his background, and a lot of you did because I've been telling you about it for months, shame on you. You you got to have some integrity. I, I don't understand why you would go and give any money to support a guy who committed felonies, sexual felonies and gun felonies as a cop. Come on, man. Stop. While wearing a uniform, like literally yeah. while wearing a uniform. So I mean, come on. Right. So on that note. We have a really cool month kicking off here uh, with our first guest. We're going to have two other ones after this that are kind of be in the same, uh, what I would call category, I guess. So we've done a lot of stuff recently uh, with police handlers and police trainers and everything else. So these next three interviews, starting with this one, are going to be all former handlers, either from standard forces, special operations, and then from special missions units. So tonight we've got Chris Corbin on. Chris, how are you? I'm excellent. How are you doing? Yeah, we're awesome. If you would, just kind of give us a little bit of your background and like how you got, because you went into the army. And uh, so let's talk about that and how you came about to handling acts. And then we can move forward from there. Just real quick, you know, this, I think all the rest of this stuff is kind of boring. We'll just get to the dog stuff. Um, hmm. I joined the army in uh, 1995, the paratrooper 82nd, wanted something cooler. So I left there after a couple of years and went to 1st Ranger Battalion, part of the 75th Ranger Regiment, and uh, had a, a great time there. Kind of got promoted out of a job. My father's an old Green Beret, so I was like, well, there's always special forces. Let me, let me go see what that's all about. So I went that direction, enjoyed uh, time in 7th Group, a couple deployments, Afghanistan and South America and whatnot. Well, there comes a time when you're, you're on a team that you have some seniority and they want to start sending people back to what they call SWIC, which is a special warfare center. Basically, it's a schoolhouse uh, making new green braids. Well, nobody really wants to come off the team and not deploy uh, unless you're looking for promotion kind of thing. So uh, I was trying to avoid SWIC, and it's like, hey, we got our own our own dog teams, uh, organic to seventh group. It's like, hey, what's that all about? I'm a dog lover, always have been. Haven't had a dog for years because, you know, busy deploying and training and whatnot, schools and everything else. So I went over there and talked to them and worked the dog for, you know, a few minutes under some guidance and uh, loved it. I-, I couldn't get enough of it. It's like, okay, what do I have to do? So I moved over from teams to the canine section and uh, actually I ended up taking over the canine section shortly after. I ended up being one of the senior guys over there too, but I still wanted to do a deployment, at least one. So I did, trained up, did all the schoolhouse stuff, uh, got, you know, basically issued at my uh, now retired working dog. And uh, we had an awesome deployment all the way up to the very end of it. <laughs> so basically, uh, I didn't put him in the most productive area. Uh, and that's, that's a lick on me. Uh, I walked into an area that was already, you know, quote unquote, cleared. So I didn't attack it as, you know, viciously or, or as uh, efficiently as I could. And ended up standing on one for a few minutes. I uh, had him working in open areas uh, alongside the buildings, whatnot, playing with the wind. Called him back to me and uh, the EOD guys kept clearing and found a battery. And before uh, I got a chance to move away from them, because anytime you find a battery, there's something connected to it. Actually, what I had been standing on uh, for the last few minutes uh, went off. 
so that uh, kind of busted me up a little bit. Uh, I referred to it as uh, I had a lowering kit installed, uh, so uh, I'm a double amputee. <laughs> I'm, I come down to about mid-shin now on both legs, and uh, I got some prosthetics, and I kick around in them pretty decently. Instead of doing a normal recovery at Walter Reed, I was at Walter Reed, uh, learned how to walk on my sticks for about four months. Then I was returning duty back to 7th Group, stayed there, and was already in charge of the canine section, so I just stayed there and uh, did another three years active, and then I just retired in uh, 2014, and I got to uh, bring Axon with me. He's actually at home right now sleeping. Well, that's awesome. We have a lot of listeners and friends that uh, were Rangers. Did you, you grew up in the Ranger Regiment? Uh, I actually started in 82nd, uh, but I was still a lower enlisted guy, E uh, E4, uh, when I had the opportunity to go to Ranger Regiment. Uh, it was actually, I was trying to get rid of my re-enlistment NCO because I wanted to get out. I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out, but I was like, yeah, I've done three years. I got, you know, about one year left. I just want to be not in the Army. I want to go to college maybe, work a regular job maybe. I, I had no plan. So the reenlistment NCO kept calling me up, you know, and Corbin Corbin, what's it going to take? So I just told him a whole bunch of stuff. Halo school and Ranger school en route to Hawaii. I want to be in Lurs. So I figured I, I pretty much shook him, called me back a week later and said, Corp Corbin, got to come see me. I was like, holy smokes, man, this guy got me Hawaii. Because office, first thing he said was, I can't get you Hawaii. He's like, well, you know, no offense there, Sergeant, but we're about done talking then. He said, no, no, I got to go down to Fort Benning, go to RIP, come back here and clear and report for duty at uh, First Ranger Battalion. Like, you can do that? He said, I just offered it to you. Write that shit up, man. I went and found my old, uh, my old platoon leader, and he swore me in about three hours later, and uh, I headed that way. That was in December of uh, 98. I went to uh, RIP February of uh, 99 and reported first Ranger Battalion in April. I uh, went to Ranger School uh, in July. I came back in uh, late August with a Ranger tab, and that just made life a whole lot easier in Ranger Regiment when you come back from Ranger School. No, I had a fucking great time there, man. That's that the best duty I've ever had. I worked at a police department for a bunch of years, and there's some uh, Ranger dudes there, and we have, again, a lot of friends that were Rangers. Do you want to take any time to talk shit about the second and third is the first the best <laughs> do we want to anything like that well i mean it, it's real simple there's first and then there was a, the first copy and then there was a second copy you know being second third you know we had good tans you know uh second had no tans and third had a flagpole parked up their butt so uh really i mean there, there's really not any need to talk shit it's just uh you know they call it first for a reason so <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. A, a guy that I, uh, a yeah. guy that I uh, worked with for a long time at the police department. He was out there in Seattle. He, every guy that I've met that I've seen that were in the battalions, at least back then, especially in the late '90s, early 2000s, and all that, were massive people. Was that you? Were you a big, huge, weightlifting strongman? I was a, I was a good size fella. I was just starting to find my way around the gym. Uh, you got to figure. A monster, I was not. But I uh, came back from Ranger School, finally had my metabolism shift a little bit, and uh, found the gym, and uh, found a couple guys who knew their way around the gym. So a lot of guys don't like taking advice from dudes in the, in the gym. Uh, when I came back from Ranger School, I was you know, 6'2 and some change, about 160. So the dude who had his name on the 400-pound bench press wall offered advice, and I took it. And then he offered more advice, and I took that, and you know, so on and so on. So when I was at my, my peak, we'll say, I was around 6'2". I was about 230. I could, you know, basically bench press a truck, you know, uh, 
my my last deployment before I got injured actually I set my personal record bench press uh, and that was 370 shoulder decided it wasn't going to take any more than that so uh, I figured that's going to be about as far as we go uh, my squats have always been really strong I'm you know mid fours deadlifts got real strong I was you know upper fours so I was good size fella what was your job at the Ranger Battalion uh, I was an infantry guy, so that made mm-hmm. it easy. Uh, I was just in a weapon squad for a long time. I was a machine gun, uh, assistant machine gunner, then a machine gunner. And they do it, you know, where different places do it different ways. The, the machine gunner is actually the gun team leader. I got promoted to E5 to sergeant. I uh, took over a rifle team, uh, left there after a year. I uh, didn't have a squad open, and the place was starting to get crowded back then. Uh, I had a slot open up in the sniper section, so I was a sniper team leader. Uh, that was my last gig there. And trying to find a job as an E6, you know, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And I figured before I got uh, shuffled to an S shop, you know, that's, you know, mm-hmm. not something I wanted to do. And then, uh, I, like I said, my father was a Green Bray, so I decided to go be a Green Bray, too. Were you guys running dogs then? Uh, back then, no. Uh, that was before 9-11. Uh, actually, I, I left there shortly after 9-11. Uh, we all figured that uh, this thing in the desert was going to be over in a, a day to a week. <laughs> we, we were off a bit. Oh, um, oh shit. Yeah, just I a mean, little. We're, we're looking at the, yeah, we're looking at the last skirmish in the desert, you know, desert storm. It was you know, 36 hours of actual fighting and then some occupation for a couple months, and then that was it. Like, well, if you weren't on the first wave, you you were really not going to get anything. Yeah, we were we were way off on that calculation. Yeah, my buddy that was in the Rangers, he was in there same time you were. He was, again, out. That's the third out in Washington, correct? Or second? Uh, that, and second is in Washington. Second, yeah. He was out there with those guys. He got lucky. He got deployed right away, working some stuff with some other units and uh, tasked to some other people. And then he went to Afghanistan and got bumped over to Iraq for that, all that stuff. So he had a, he, he was busy, man. He got to do a lot of stuff. So when you, you end up over at 7th Special Forces Group, go all the way through Special Forces, uh, what are they called, A School? Uh, they call it the Q Course. The yeah, Q Course. Yeah. Was it still yeah. Pineland then, or was it yeah. something else? Oh, it was definitely still Pineland. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's something else well, now. No, my, my kennel master, or my partner at Torchlight, is an old, grumpy, salty-ass 7th Green Beret. He was there. He got out in 80 shit one or 1980 but uh did all of his time in central america but uh he was a uh, 18 delta before it was uh 18 <laughs> yep 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 yeah that was in 86 i believe when they actually made the actual special forces tab and made a, a, a the unit of the the mos of 18 series this 85 86 time frame i think 86 Right. So, yeah, they were still Special Forces guys, but they didn't have the, the Special Forces tab, you know, above their unit patch, and they didn't have their own MOS uh, as 18 series. They were, you know, if you were a medic, you were a medic, and you were just in SF as a unit, uh, and so on. So it, it was, you know, the precursor to what we have these days. I mean, it, it's awesome. It really is. But we, we always go back, you know, when you've done something cool, you know, whatever, it's like, ah, been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Well, those dudes drew the T-shirt, <laughs> so uh, that's yeah, just as cool to me. Oh, I've, I've Scott has told me some horror stories. Believe me. <laughs> yeah. So you go through you go through Q course, uh, and then you do your first deployment as an SF. What was your MOS in SF? Uh, I was an 18 Bravo weapon sergeant. Right. And okay. uh, that's, that's I actually went through the medic course. 
I had kind of a violent past, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the storm major after my psych evals came back and everything else. Everybody does psych evals, you know, as part of the uh, selection. SFAS. I'm sure you heard that. So. My psych evals combined with my rap sheet said that I might be a bit on the violent side, a little bit quick to throw, uh, if you will. So uh, Sergeant Major decided to keep me in a cue course a little bit longer uh, make me an 18 Delta. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> I mean, I, I was an E5, so basically you know, Roger Sergeant Major was my only answer and, you know, move out. So started, uh, almost finished the medic course, the 18 Delta course. <laughs> Had an old ghost pop up to bite me in the ass. Uh, a dude was trying to press charges on me for breaking his face a few years prior. So I actually had got held up in court for a little while. And then I made enough friends to where when that court stuff was cleared, they were going to let me go back to whatever training I wanted to go to. So I opted out of the 18 Delta portion and just went became an 18 Bravo. It, it's weird how things work that way. <laughs> Bust the guy's face, get yeah, to move I, your change I, of career. I like it. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, the, uh, you know, I, I got the medic stuff as far as trauma. I, I had I, not really no issue, but I, I got through that and, and I actually enjoyed being able to do that stuff. My problem was the bedside manner, the sick call type stuff. You know, hey, my knee hurts. Tuck it up, pussy. You know, it's basically my response. <laughs> and I, I didn't think I would be a very good medic, honestly. Uh, trauma medic, sure. Outside of that, which is, is that's very little of the actual 18 Delta job on, on a team it is, you know, the actual trauma. Because you, you only do trauma when people get injured, you know, mm-hmm. fall off a truck, get shot, get blown up, you know, whatever. But uh, I didn't think I would be a good one. I didn't think I'd enjoy that job. So uh, I got some qualifications out of it. And that was cool. And I could help, you know, if we had a trauma situation, I could jump in there with the medics and help out if needed, whatever. But I, I didn't want to do that job, honestly. I wanted to be an 18 Bravo. I wanted to play with mm-hmm. guns and mortars and that kind of shit. And that's that's what I excelled at. I, I like it. You know, Ted Scott, probably as an 18 Delta in the 70s, probably just handed out salt, Peter, and leeches. That's about, probably what it was. <laughs> yeah, that's before. Yeah. Like, Here's uh, a boner it, and a blood sucker. Yeah, it was even before, like, fucking <laughs> ibuprofen. <laughs> They were, they were like, here's an aspirin. Take this and some fucking water and do some push-ups and you'll be fine. And Which is kind of what he does on. now. <laughs> so you know, like, it's, uh, If it's above the waist, it's, uh, you know, Motrin and water. If it's below the waist, mm. it's foot powder, Motrin and water. And that's, there nice. you go. No, I like it. Scott told me about a course where uh, I don't necessarily think they do it anymore. They do, but they moved it or whatever, where they work on goats and you have to assess some injuries that have happened to goats. And uh, just from the description of it it was fucking hairy. I was like, holy shit. And he was like, oh, yeah, that's great. You learn a lot. I'm like, fuck, I bet. And I'd have to ask him where the school was. I don't remember. I know they moved it. But yeah, so I bet I bet it ain't Band-Aids. No. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that uh, we typically shy away from talking about. Right. Uh, non-disclosure statements and whatnot. PETA doesn't really care for that method of training medics. Right, which uh, is why they don't do it anymore. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Right. This is why they don't do it anymore. They don't do it anymore. This was back in the 80s when Scott did it, so it See, didn't count. Yeah, PETA, PETA, if you're listening, they don't even do that. Exactly. Yeah. It was all made up. Yeah. Uh, when you get over to 7th, how big of the kennel do they have right then at, when you get there? Do you know? Well, 
they didn't have one when I first got there. Uh, I got there in 2005, and uh, they, they hadn't even started the kennel, the canine program. We were still using, like, MPs or EOD with uh, some type of bomb detection dog, you know, possibly a patrol, dual-purpose dog. But we used, you know, we had some young E3s and E4s, you know, run along behind a team doing team-type stuff. You know, with no training. So it, it became one of those things we had to kind of babysit the guy. They, they learned as quick as they could, but they weren't ready for, for stuff like that. You know, running through a building, running through a compound, you know, clearing as you go. Uh, and all of a sudden, hey, we need a dog. And this guy's probably way, way overwhelmed uh, as far as what he joined the Army and had been doing up to that point. So... Colonel at the time, Colonel, now General Retired Reader, decided that uh, we needed to have this capability in 7th Group and all the groups later on. He was the group commander. Uh, Delta Force had already started their own canine section there with GWAT going on, and they had a great program. So yeah, and and group, we, uh, uh, we actually interviewed, we actually interviewed um, Fred. Uh, several episodes back about that. So that right was, uh, yeah, so that, so this is about the same time, correct? They did it first. Right. They have money and training and assets <laughs> and they did it and it yeah. worked gloriously. Uh, I know the guy who kind of stood that up and I know that his Sergeant Major, uh, good friends of mine, they're all retired now, but they were team guys for years and just said, Hey, we need a dog program. And they said, I know more than a little bit about dogs. Can I do it? Yeah, go. And they did it. And it was fucking phenomenal, really. But that was, don't quote me on the year that they stood up their, their canine uh, program because I was still on the Q course for that. Guessing 03, 04 time frame. And then, uh, so it was wildly successful. And 7th Group stood up our canine program in 2007. So, you know, I got a deployment and uh, we had a regular dog. And then my next deployment with teams, we had a, an SF dude with a dog. I was like, where the hell did you come from? <laughs> Q course and Like, you're an SF dude with a dog. Yeah. Uh, okay. How, how does that work? Well, we have our own canine section. Huh, news to me. Never knew it. It was small, and, you know, it was going through some changes on that deployment. And uh, the guy we got was Jake, and he was awesome, and his dog Apollo was as awesome, and we had a great deployment. And, you know, we got back off of that one, and that's when I said I started developing or noticing that I had uh, been marked with some seniority, and there was there was going to come a time that I was going to get plucked to go somewhere else, not on a team. Say, hey, does that kind of count as a switch tour? I said, yeah. Well, here I am and went and checked it out and it was awesome and that's where I stayed. So like around 2007, 2008, that was kind of like the infancy of the SF dog program. You guys already had a little bit of your own dogs. You guys were like kind of getting a hundred bites or supposedly like a hundred bites of deployment or something. You guys were nuking people, right? Uh, well, I mean, uh, and, and this is just me having to be, you know, the voice of reality or reason. Right. Um, because... If you talk to, like, a lot of guys, especially, like, bar talk, if you will, you know, every every SF dude has killed, like, 700 fucking, you know, bad guys. Right. Well, if you go by those numbers, we've eliminated the, the, the population of Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Syria and Iraq, like, eight times. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I know how many bites Act has, and, it, and it's, you know, less than 10. And that was for a whole deployment, and that was with the commandos doing some cool shit. I mean, really, anybody who's going to pump their numbers up and say they were getting, you know, 90, 100 bites, I, I got to look at that with because I, I've, I've done it. I, I've, I've been over there with a the dog, and I've been over there and had a dog attached to us. And, and I, I know that getting uh, in, in an area where you would think 
that a hundred bites would have been justified doesn't mean that they got it, you know. And uh, so, I, it, guys always love to pump the numbers up, you know. It's the old fucking how long's your dong? You know? Exactly. It, you know? Until you actually pull it out, oh hell yeah, it's eight and a half, you know. <laughs> and then, well, you pull it out and say, well, you know, if you measure it from here, uh, so I mean, if you measure it from like behind your asshole, you know, yeah, you'll get eight and a half, but you know, whatever. <laughs> so, I, I got to look at it with a little bit of reality, you know, in, in there. So now, Delta Force has had their dog program again. Don't quote me on dates, but I want to say oh four oh five time frame. And actually, 7th Group is the first SF group to stand up a canine section uh, within the group of SF guys, and that was in 2007. So the first time I saw them was in the 08 deployment, and we had a dog coming to us and said, yeah, it's an E6, you know, blah, blah, SF dude. I was like, SF dude? I was like, did he get in trouble and had to go somewhere <laughs> else or something? I said, nah, he's a SF canine guy. I was like, where the fuck that come from? It's like, oh, that's SF has their own canine section. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that. So it, that was that was actually pretty nifty. It was small, you know, and they had numbers, a goal they wanted to get to, which was 10 handlers and 14 dogs, and then, you know, a trainer and an NCYC. And that's what we built up to. Uh, as I was leaving, we were attaining those numbers. We maintained those numbers from, like, eh, probably 10 into 11, and then we, we, we maintained those numbers until I retired in 14. So uh, that's the numbers they were shooting for. We got them, and then we held on to them. And now what they're doing now, five years later, I'm not 100% sure. They might be the same, might be a little bit bigger, might be a little bit smaller. Uh, still talk to a couple of guys, but honestly, I don't get too much into the weeds on uh, how, how much, you know, what they're actually doing, talking numbers and stuff. I, I, don't, I don't really get into that with them. Right. So you met the SF guy. He was an E6 dude, brought his dog, and you're like, oh, shit, what's this about? So talk about um, how you managed to go back and pick up Axe, how the training went, and then where we moved from there. Okay, I think I talked about uh, avoiding SWIC. <laughs> so, right, yeah. uh, basically, it's, uh, I, I'd been in group at that point uh, around five years, and I didn't have any specialty that would necessarily keep me there. I was just a, you know, what I, I considered a pretty good Bravo um, a lot of people come to me with problems they got with guns and couldn't figure out. And I, I ended up sorting it out for them because this experience, uh, and I was into it, you know, I mean, if you're into something, you always tend to be a little bit better at it. You know, if you're really into cars or hot rods right. or, or whatever, you know, you end up learning a lot more about it. So I, I ended up being the go-to guy, uh, for a lot of Bravo type stuff, but I, I didn't have any, any specialties. I, I wasn't a halo guy, you know, uh, I wasn't a scuba guy. Uh, I wasn't any one of the secret squirrel type, you know, training or, or jobs or, or, or position or anything like that. So uh, I was starting to feel a target on my back uh, with regards to SWIC, uh, going back to the schoolhouse and having to be an instructor. Nobody wants to do that shit unless you're a career minded and you're trying to get promoted. And I really was not. You know, we had our own canine program, and uh, I, I was interested in it. And I went over there and hung out with him for a little while and, uh, you know, talked to Jake, uh, our, our handler from uh, 2008 tour. And, uh, you know, Chit Chess says, yeah, bro, it's fucking best kept secret in group. I mean, you still deploy team guys. You still do team shit, uh, but you got a dog. I was like, well, fuck, man, I love dogs, you know. Let me go check it out. And uh, first time over there, I got a couple of quick classes on how to make a dog do some stuff and, you know, went through that. I was like, man, this, this is cool as shit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had a blast. I was like, yep, this, this is what I want to do. 
so uh, made it official. Sergeant Major blessed off on it, and uh, my transfer, you know, went in just staying in group, but you know, going from one one battalion over to another, and uh, you know, started training up with them uh, about a month or so, and then uh, you know, met my dog Axe, you know, pretty much immediately, and uh, was supposed to take him through the course, and then take another dog, a veteran dog, uh, Argus. Uh, to Afghanistan with me, and me and Axe hit it off over the two months we were in school, and I was like, hey, man, this, this is my dog. You know, I trust him. He trusts me. We get along. Uh, I don't I don't, I don't, want to take Argus. I want to take Axe. And I said, well, okay, yeah, as long as you test out with the advanced stuff and uh, the finishing school stuff, and, yeah, as long as everything does well, you still feel the same way, you know, cool. And, and, and it worked out like that. Awesome. So we're ginned up and ready to take off on deployment. And, uh, you know, we, we, we left and that was it. Uh, I had a great time. You know, I was attached to a great team. The, uh, the team sort of that team, uh, unfortunately, uh, retired and he's the green brave that just got, uh, killed by friendly forces. Uh, the Marine, the big thing that was all over the media here a couple months ago, uh, Rick Rodriguez, fucking great guy, great team sergeant, old Ranger, fucking great SF guy. And, uh, you know, his, him and his whole team, they just took great care of me, and we had, we had a great deployment. Now, the team that we were ripping out with uh, was the team that we had ripped out with going in there, guys from first group. Uh, so it was like we really didn't have to do a big changeover. It was like, hey, welcome back to your place, and uh, deuces. You know, we still technically we had to do right seat ride with them, do a couple patrols, but it's all the same stuff that they brought us on. So they're familiar with it, so it really wasn't being looked at as a big deal. Then we had one mission that got scratched a few times over um like i said we're flying with those cool guys um so they're kind of finicky on when they fly and stuff like that so everything worked out and say hey hey that mission got turned back on and they're flying so uh let's go all right cool let's go do it you know another three days out be our last mission that whole proverbial one more mission and uh you know we we got there at you know midnight one in the morning you know took over a couple of compounds and then uh, started clearing operations the next day, and uh, that's that's when I got busted up. Hey guys, Eric here. If you listen to Working Dog Radio or follow me on social media, Van SK9, you know that I am involved in a wide variety of aspects of the dog world. I am a police dog trainer, pet dog trainer, I own dog daycare, and I am a pet owner. So I have a wide variety of needs when it comes to gear for the dogs, daily living things for the dogs, all kinds of items, training, anything possible I need. I go to one place, rayallen.com. Rayallen.com is a one-stop shop for everything dog related. Anything you could possibly need, check them out. rayallen.com. They've been doing a long time. Great customer service, super high integrity at that place. rayallen.com. Put in promo code working dog radio for 10% off your next order. Ted and I love that place. rayallen.com. Get on there, click everything you need, ship it all at once. rayallen.com for all things dogs. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's talk about training and conferences. We know training budgets are always tight and that's why the crew from HITS goes the extra mile for you. Let's be honest here. There's no other canine training conference on the planet like HITS. It has now gotten so large that the 2019 HITS will be held at the largest convention center in North America. That's Chicago's McCormick Place. Experience matters when it comes to putting on a show like this and when it comes to police dog trainers. The guys who run HITS are still working police dogs, just like you. There's going to be three full days of training with five classes 
classes in session at a time. Topics are going to range from patrol work and dog selection to case law to search and rescue to canine first aid and everything in between. They had 1,100 people in attendance last year in D.C. and are planning for more this year. And it wouldn't be a conference without the vendors. The McCormick Place has enough room for 100 vendor booths. You can meet the people that make the equipment you guys use every single day. The vendors make coming to hits an experience like nothing else in this industry. Plus the free stuff. Everybody loves free stuff. Last year, they gave away about 40 grand in cash and prizes from vendors. I expect Chicago to be bigger. So come join the crew from Working Dog Radio in Chicago during the week of August 13th through the 16th at McCormick Place in Chicago, Illinois. Now, I know handlers and I know you people wait to the last minute to do everything. Don't be that guy. Head over to Hits Canine. Dot net. That's the letter K, the number nine, to get registered and save money on your registration for doing it early. There's also information about the discounted hotel rooms. That's August 13th through the 16th in Chicago. If you didn't write it down, we got the link in the show notes. Eric here. Like many trainers, Ted and I go through toys with the hard, super chewer dogs we typically have in our kennel. So we need toys designed to withstand the grueling reality of high drive working dogs. That's where USA Canine Dog Toys excel. Their toys are made from an extremely durable rubber compound. They have reward toys as well as food dispenser toys, all made to last and are very affordable. All the toys are military-themed. Go to the website, www.usa-k9.com. Check out the grenade-shaped toys. They got the cherry bomb. They got a lot of other great things over there, military-themed toys. Here's the best part. A portion of all USA Canine proceeds go to support military working dogs and other veterans organizations. And that's freaking badass. www.usa-k9.com. Use the promo code k 9 Pro, or check them out on Instagram at USA Canine Dog Toys. Hey everybody, it's Ted. Let's take a break for a second. Let's talk about Dogtra. We make no bones about the fact that Eric and I love Dogtra. In fact, we've been users of them since long before we even started the podcast, and it's one of the reasons that we approached them to be sponsors of the show. We typically only want to have stuff on here that we actually use and that we can stand behind and endorse. Dogtra is one of those companies. They've been at it for a long time and are industry leaders when it comes to production of reliable, consistent training equipment for your dog, whether it be poppers and droppers, whether it be e-collars or now they've got the new gps one which eric has been playing with and he really really likes it so what i want everyone to do is head to dogtra.com you get a 10 percent off of any item over 200 and you use the discount code wdr10 that's just like the initials of the show working dog radio wdr10 hit them up Highland Canine Training, LLC. To all of my fellow LE Canine guys, Highland Canine should definitely be on your short list of vendors when it comes time to adding to your unit or replacing one of your dogs. Highland Canine offers green and pre-trained single and dual-purpose dogs if you train in-house. But most importantly, they offer a full-service canine academy with canine handlers courses, canine instructors courses, specialized advanced canine training, and canine supervisors courses. Jason and his staff of instructors have been there and done that in this game. They run these classes year-round, so go to their awesome website at www.tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. That's Tactical Police, the letter K, the number nine, training.com, and make your unit better. Let me take a second and talk to the explosive handlers here. Everybody knows that HME is a huge problem now. The problem with training on it is that it's extremely dangerous, and a lot of times you guys only get access to it a couple of times a year, which is not enough. Nobody wants to handle TATP or HMTD. So, enter True Scent Canine. 
That's TrueScent, the letter K, the number 9.com. They manufacture an actual odor, not a pseudo. It's an actual explosive odor suspended in silica. So they do TATP, HMTD, RDX, TNT, PETN, ammonium nitrate, potassium chlorate, and they do a distractor odor too so that you can proof the dogs off of the training aids, but it's actual explosive odor suspended in silica. It's safe to handle. You're not going to blow yourself up. You're not going to endanger anyone else. And the dogs, through verified testing that TrueScent has done, will alert on both the training aids and then actual HME odor down the line through training. So hit them up, truescentcanine.com. That's the letter K, the number nine, truescentcanine.com. I want to take a second to talk about equipment selection for patrol work. One of the most important aspects of teaching and maintaining patrol functions is your equipment. Proper equipment selection and fit makes all the difference in the world when it comes to creating and maintaining patrol and sport dogs. This episode is possible in part with support from Arno at ALM Suits. Because of the importance of this equipment, I use ALM Suits exclusively. I've owned one for about five years and use it almost daily at the kennel and have caught thousands of dogs and tens of thousands of bites. Arno was able to make a great fitting suit for my lanky ass and I couldn't be happier with it. Arno can take your measurements and make you a suit each and everything he does in his shop in Vegas. Between the top-notch materials and the handmade aspect, you're getting some of the best bite equipment in the world from ALM. The suits come in a full range of weights, from training weight to comp weight, which is what I use because I'm not a pussy and you shouldn't be either. He offers some Kevlar inserts to make the thinner suits a little safer and more comfortable, plus they keep your tattoo artist happy. He makes a full range of toys and reward tugs also. Be sure to hit him up at alnk9equipment.com that's the letter K, the number 9, or arno, A-R-N-O at almsuits.com Be sure to use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off off your first order tell him you heard it here now go get bit uh it wasn't even the compound that i me and axe were actually at it was we had to move about 600 meters over to another position and uh they briefed me up hey we found an id over here we need to find any more we're gonna blow this building up so you know going with the wind you know any, anything with the dog or you're doing any kind of detection especially in stuff like that you got to go play with the wind you know where's it coming from okay i need to search this area okay hey i need to search this area next and uh we're just you know, clicking around and everything was looking great and uh, called Axe back over to me and had him on my side. I, I don't want to go, you know, wandering around in what we think is is potentially a minefield. So I'm just, right. I'm standing still. I picked one spot. It was already cleared by EOD guys and just kind of hung out there. Uh, I maybe shifted my weight left and right a few times, but other than that, I don't really want to go tap dance around a minefield. So we're just kind of hanging out. And, uh, you know, I hear the guys talking and say, hey, we've got a battery, we've got some wires and shit. So what I was thinking in my head was, I'm getting away from you guys before we all blow up. But what I said was, hey, how about we back up off these guys, give them some room to work. <laughs> and uh, right. before I finished that sentence, uh, evidently uh, I was too late. And, uh, you know, what was, you know, already cleared, they, they didn't clear deep enough, I guess. And, uh I'd been standing on the damn thing for the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes. And uh, when it went off, I, I got shot backwards. And, uh, you know, Axe got shot to the side and bounced off some stuff and hit the ground. And I, I assumed that we had taken indirect fire. Um, you know, mortar rounds or to the rounds, you know, recalled his life around something. Um, right. And, uh, you know, so my buddy, you know, I went to the Q course with uh, jumped on me. And uh, he says, just stay down. And I'm thinking in my head, that's not what you do for indirect fire. We need, they know we're here. They have indirect fire capabilities. 
and they're pretty fucking good shots. So we need to not be here when the next rounds come in. So we're supposed to be moving away from here. And, uh, well, then, you know, Axe starts barking at Chris. I was like, you need to get off me before Axe bites you. He's like, oh, shit. So he kind of sat up and, and went kind of to a knee, but he kind of stiff on me in my chest back to the ground. And that's when I could see that I had some, <laughs> I had some malfunctions going on below the knees. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it, it made sense then. It's like, okay, that wasn't indirect fire. That was an ID, and I got blown the fuck up, and uh, this sucks. So I just kind of relaxed back, and it's like, I was just pissed off. You know, conscious the whole time, just just pissed off. You know, number one, you know, I got hit. That sucks. You know, and you know all the tours I have, everything else, and all the, the successful missions I got in our last fucking mission. You know, I got fucking, I got hit, and evidently it's pretty damn gnarly. Um, so. They, uh, you know, I had to, we always grab a guy who's typically somebody's going to identify themselves as a dog lover. Now, as it happens, uh, this guy, Matt, awesome dude, uh, was an Intel guy. He, uh, not only was he a dog lover, he owned dogs and he's, you know, nearly fluent in Dutch or uh, in German. Uh, he married a German national when he was stationed in Germany. So, I mean, perfect. I don't even have to teach you the words. You already know them. So um, went over some commands, had, you know, had Matt work act a little bit. He could find a bomb, you know, he could, you know, clear a little bit, you know, stuff like that. So he, he was having a great time with it. Just a couple of days here and there, just, just some, you know, hip pocket training kind of stuff with him. Right. And the, the case that I was to get injured, uh, someone who could take acts uh, and, you know, maybe not work him, but at least get him away from me to where he wasn't trying to, you know, eat the medic. <laughs> Cause that, right. That's in poor form. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yes. Matt came over and uh, I threw him my leash and he grabbed a ball and uh, active boy, come here and called him off. And, you know, he went over with Matt and kind of got out of the way. And, you know, Doc's, you know, strapped or, uh, Chris and uh, Ski put the tourniquets on me. And, uh, you know, Doc got over there and uh, started working on me and moved my tourniquets around a little bit and gave me some meds. But, you know, you can't give so much. Uh, there's all kinds of other stuff, respiratory depression and stuff like that. So he's limited on how much he could give me. I was like, bro. Getting blowed up didn't really hurt. These, these tourniquets hurt really, really bad. <laughs> Can you give me some more? He says, bro, I can't. I, I really can't. When a bird gets here, they're going to hook you up. So uh, the bird shows up. They got me wrapped up, you know, ran me onto the bird, dropped me off, strapped me down, and uh, gave me a high five, and then went back to work. And the uh, bird takes off. You know, I was like, hey, bro, <laughs> you got something you can give me for pain? And I'd never forget this. He goes, yeah, mate, hold on just a minute. I'm like, what? What the hell? And I noticed a big straight flag, you know, uh, over top of the uh, – or the, on the ceiling of the Chinook. I was like, okay, man, that kind of threw me off. And he hit me with a metric fuck ton of whatever, uh, and I was out almost instantly. And I woke up. Uh, last thing I was saying was, hey, do what you can to save my feet. You know, I don't care if it's pins, needles, plates, uh, you know, Legos, whatever. Just, just do what you can to save them. And uh, they, they were mangled up enough. I've seen x-rays after the fact. And they were pretty mangled up. So uh, I woke up in the hospital and I could, everything's clean, looked around. Okay, there's obviously a hospital. I see the sheets, I see the curtains, see people walking around. And I looked down, hoping to see my little twinkle toes sticking up out of the, the lower part of the, the bed through the sheets. And, and I didn't. And I just saw where, you know, my legs just went down and stopped kind of suddenly. And I was just instantly just pissed. And uh, I had this little, like, voice in the back of my head that was kind of being reasonable. 
but that wasn't controlling my mouth, and I was just being an asshole. <laughs> so I, I yelled at anybody who walked by me, um, and I was like, hey, oh, Son Corbin's awake. And people started coming over. It's like, where's my goddamn feet? I was like, oh, Son, there was a, there was an explosion. Was like, yeah, 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 fast forward, got all that. Where are they? And they're like, uh, what? And all I was thinking was $180 barrel boots. I want my fucking boots back. <laughs> I want my boots and back. And that little reasonable voice in the back of my head is like, hey, what the fuck are you talking about? You're, you're an idiot. And uh, then I just, just kept fussing at people. And uh, somebody else came by. And said, oh, Sergeant Baker was trying to get a hold of you. So I just looked at somebody else like, you, get me an iridium. And he's that's obviously not his job. He's like, I'll see what I can do. And he, he did. He went and got an Iridium and brought it back to me. And I'm running through the list of phone numbers in my head that I'm supposed to have memorized. And, okay, I got that one. So I'm trying to dial, and I wasn't getting a signal. I was like, hey, you, bring me outside. It's like, you're in ICU after surgery, being having both your legs amputated. No. So I, I raised a little bit of tank, and uh, they did whatever they had to do to bring me outside, and they did. And, uh, you know, get out there and I've been inside for the last, you know, day ish or whatever. And, uh, it's bright. So I just grabbed the sunglasses off this dude's face and put them on. And, uh, again, the little voice in the back of my head is like, you're a dick. <laughs> and, uh, so, and then he looked at me all crooked and I was like, Hey, go give me a Coke. <laughs> it's like, this fucking asshole just stole my sunglasses <laughs> off my face. Just like gave him like a mushy and just grabbed his sunglasses. And now he's telling me to go get him a Coke. So I get a hold of Ryan, uh, Sergeant Baker, and who they were talking about trying to get a hold of me earlier, which is one of the, the, the guys that stood up to the canine program, the seventh group, and a uh, good friend of mine, and who was also a canine guy deployed, you know, same time as I was, different location. Uh, so I called Ryan and said, Ryan, Corp, what's up? He said, Goddamn, bro, how are you doing? I was like, Nah, I think I had a lowering kit installed. He's like, You're a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't know what else to say, you know? Right. So, uh, you know, we chit chatted for a minute or two and then my dad walked out the door and I was like, Hey bro, dad just walked up. I got to go so I on the phone. And all I could think of to say was this dickhead wouldn't bring me a Coke. He brought me a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, so now me and dad are just bullshitting. And, uh, you know, he, he, go, he recounts it, you know, when he got there, he's like, yeah, I'm looking for Sean Corbin. Oh, you must be the dad. And he said, yeah, I'm the dad. So right over here, and he opened a curtain up, and the whole bed, me, everything else is gone. And he's like, uh, I say, well, from what I understand, he didn't walk out of here. So where the fuck you do? Where, where, where the fuck you go? <laughs> so he said they looked down, and they followed an extension cord <laughs> from nice. my little face out the door. And uh, he gets out the door, and there I am, wearing some dude's sunglasses, drinking a Dr. Pepper, talking to Ryan on Iridium. Oh, man. Um, That's that uh... it. It was the end of both of our tours over there. He ended up getting cut loose a few weeks early, and he was my escort to bring me all the way back through uh, Monstuhl in Germany, and then you know arriving at uh, at Walter Reed. And yeah, he had become a physician, correct? Uh, no, my dad was uh, eighteen uh, eighteen Zulu. He's a, a team sergeant, operation sergeant, uh, but he was uh, the jock sergeant major okay. for. Uh, another soda but now he's an sf dude just like me just older that's pretty awesome that i i can't imagine there's too many stories we'll hear about that yeah i was laying in the hospital my feet are gone and my dad comes in what the fuck <laughs> in afghanistan <laughs> like, yeah. i definitely would love to have some other stories about how you know me and dad did some cool shit together you know uh, actually a month prior to that they said we're not doing anything over christmas we won't go fly to see your boy he said sure 
So I got to spend Christmas in Afghanistan with my dad. You know, we did a, a patrol, you know, a, not a mission really, just a presence patrol kind of thing. But I got to carry live ammo and bring my dad out on a mission with us, you know, and something he's used to, so not a big deal. But I got to do a live patrol with my old man. I got to eat Christmas dinner. I, I actually hit my record bench press with him there. We had a, we had a fucking great little, you know, five-day visit in Afghanistan. We've been deployed together same areas uh, like five times in, in, in over the last couple of years we just never were able to make link out south america afghanistan anything and uh yeah we got to hang out for you know almost a week you know at my little fire base or my yeah. big little fire base on a big base and uh now we had a blast out there man it's a good time and uh you know That's that was freaking cool Christmas. He had to take off before New Year's, so I didn't get to hang out and have the New Year's thing with him. But we actually had something to do anyhow, so it didn't matter. Yeah. But uh, and then that was uh, and then you know a month and a half later is uh, when we got to link up again. Now flying back to Walter Reed. So when you go to Walter Reed to do your time there, where they're trying to get you up and walking, you know, not obviously from what I read, not on your time schedule, on their time schedule. Had they just not dealt with someone like you, or they were just trying to? be a bureaucratic place well uh, you know I, I i can go either way with that i don't think they had anybody that was you know of my mindset there up to that point with my specific injuries and mindset so early on uh one of the physical therapists was like okay you know bring some rubber bands in a room so i could do some little workout stuff uh you know it's obviously not really super tough because of the stuff I've been doing, you know, up until like literally a few days prior to that. So she came in, she comes into my room one day, her and a social worker is like, okay, let's do some, some mental stuff today. I'm like, all right, mentally strong. Let's go. What, what you got? It's like, well, you know, let's just start with something like, uh, where do you see yourself in a year? Mm, in Afghanistan, shooting a fucker that blew me up or his cousin <laughs> or, you know, a, a brown guy, you know, that doesn't dress like Americans, you know, whatever, or, or they're a fucking goat. I don't give a fuck. And I say, well, we kind of want to, kind of want to keep it a little bit more realistic. I was like, okay, what's realistic to you? So I like, give me, give me some left and right limits here. Let's let's, let's talk. And he says, well, for instance, in six months, I'd say we'd have you you're walking pretty well. Um, I say in a year, we'd have you doing some athletic stuff, you know, sled hockey and things like that. Probably running, you know, and, and things of that nature. And, and I'd say in about eighteen months, we'd have you ready to medically retire and start the next chapter of your life. He's like, huh? You're fucking fired. Get out of my room and don't come back. And yeah. she would the phone. So uh, she didn't come back. And right about that time, she was protesting being fired right as my dad walked in the room and said, get them the fuck out of here. They don't come back in my room ever. So uh, I got a new physical therapist who was awesome. And, and I could look at it from a couple of different ways because my first one was a, a contractor, not not a green suitor, not a, not a military person. And for them, uh, I look at it like, like the, the old TV show Survivor. You, you have to prove your worth and remind everybody of your worth. That way you still have a job. And the longer they keep somebody there, the longer you can keep working with them, the longer they can keep writing reports on them, the better their resume looks. From what I, from what I gather, the green suitor, he's there. Is, is you know got a guy walking, got a guy running, got a guy out of there. Now on their neck, oh, oh, Captain Ritland, Bradley, probably major, definitely major. Hell, maybe Lieutenant Colonel by now was awesome. What do you want to do? I want to run the fuck out of here. Okay, let's go get you some running feet. Then we'll go from there. Oh, sweet! It was that easy, and uh, we just went from there. He was awesome, but had some <laughs> personality conflicts with a few folks out uh, Walter Reed, some civilians and pri previous military or, or prior military people, and uh, they really just didn't like that I didn't want to be there. And so we, we kind of had some headbutting, if you will. But bottom line, you know, I was injured 17 February 2011. And on 15 July of 2011, I was returning to duty back to 7th Group, and I stayed on jump status. And I was still falling out of the airplanes. So 
they they weren't ready for me and not just someone like me because I'm kind of a prick and uh, hmm. so they definitely weren't ready just for me personally and I just didn't want to be there because I, I saw the now, not want to get in the whole, you know, wounded warrior kind of debate, whatever. But I saw the the guys that were hard charging folks that were, they were injured, and they were kind of being led down a path of victimhood mentality. I'm not a victim, dude. I put a lot of motherfuckers to a dirt nap, and this is the best they got. I mean, call it karma, call it whatever. Hey, man, I, I got injured doing exactly what I wanted to be doing, and I want to try to do exactly what I was doing before again. I just got to figure out a way to do it with these fucking sticks. So I I wasn't ready to play the part of the victim just yet, and. I I just and you know the whole time I've been you know my senior time in Ranger Regiment you know I was an E5 and then the whole time I was you know NSF I was the guy who knows the guy hey who who do we know can get us this that and the other oh hey go talk to Mike he's telling Corbin Central you know hey our welder needs a settling tank huh okay uh, go see my Air Force buddy over here he'll score you away tell him I sent you and he shows up over there and comes back with like six tanks of acetylene. He said, bro, I was looking for two. He gave me six. He's like, Dang. <laughs> I've been the guy who knows the guy. I'm like the unofficial mayor of whatever little camp I was on. So now I'm in Walter Reed and I'm, you know, counting all these people to do all these things for me. And I don't like, I had a, a need to be needed and I wasn't getting that in a fucking wheelchair and learn how to walk on sticks in Walter Reed. So did I leave Walter Reed too early? 100% yes, I did. Physically, 100% yes, I did. Did I need to get out of there for the mental side? of my healing 1 million percent yes I had that's um, how I had looked at it and that's that's how I took it and that's how I marched forward with it uh, not to get down in too much of a rabbit hole but at Walter Reed when you're seeing all this going is how much also being led down that path of victimhood are you seeing pain meds involved in all this tons of them uh, I took myself off of everything I was still in the hospital bed you know coming out of a couple different surgeries and the pain was ridiculous like managing that myself uh, I don't know that I could have. But as soon as I had a, you know, they started tapering me off of them to where I could actually talk and hold a conversation. And I'm noticing how many meds are flowing through me. I was like, man, I don't like this. So nurse came in at night and said, hey, can we turn this shit off or turn it down a little bit? Said, how about we just turn it off? He's like, I'm down. You know, come check on me an hour <laughs> or two if, if it's, you know. Is it? It's easy. If uh, if it starts hurting real bad, hit that button. He's like, sweet. So he just turned everything off and uh, came back in an hour or two. All good. Yep, straight. Come back in the next morning. Yep, good to go. You know, here's your morning. You know, I was on a lot of antibiotics and stuff like that just because of the nature of the injuries. So still had to wake me up in the morning and take my, my morning dose of pills for, for that kind of stuff. And when I left Walter Reed, they're like, okay, here's six months of this. Here's six months of that. You know, call me if you need any more. I was like, hi, right, sweet, thanks. And I walked out the door, threw that shit in the trash can, and never took another. Uh, I actually finished my Percocet that I had from Walter Reed a year later when I had a wisdom tooth pulled. <laughs> I, I don't like taking meds. I don't want to take meds. I don't, I'm not a, you know, since I've retired, I might take a little bit of med. And it looks like a cigarette maybe. Right. But I thought I was going to do that all the time. Well, that shit got a whole lot stronger than I remember from 20 years back. So <laughs> mm-hmm. once a month, once every two months, maybe. That's Well, that's good because we, you know, we've all heard the stories of the path that those medications lead down to uh, for our, a lot of our military guys that are, you know, yeah. you're wounded and yeah, everybody and, and has the wherewithal I've, to quit. Yeah, seen it plenty of times. Uh, a lot of times with younger guys, not always with younger guys, though. We call it the chemical prison. And, you know, hell, uh, a few years after all this, my dad actually went through stage four tonsil cancer, non-smoker, barely a 
drinker and don't know where this shit came from, but that big old lump on his neck. And I uh, went through the chemo and radiation and everything else. They're loading him up on meds and telling him he needs more. You know, he's on like eight Oxycontins a day, and that's just the one that I knew about. The other ones, I know there are more. I don't know exactly which other ones it were, but my dad has never done drugs a day in his life. Uh, my dad went through the Q course at 35 years old. And now he's, you know, right now, put him up against most guys half his age, and he's just turned 60. He'll be 65, 64 in July. He's a monster. And all of a sudden, he's lost a lot of weight doing chemo and radiation and whatnot, and now he's a basket case loaded up on meds. And the docs keep giving it to him. Well, dad's so loaded up, he's just telling docs, oh, yeah, you know, I need some more, I need some more. And I was like, he just turned my dad into a fucking druggie. So I went in there with mom talking to the doctor. I was like, hey, check it out. My dad has never done drugs in his life. He has no idea what he's doing to himself right now. If my dad turns into an all-out druggie and needs rehab, I'm going to burn your house down with your kids in it. Are we clear? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> say, eh, you don't have to call security. I hope you won't. Maybe yeah. you will. I don't care at this point. If you turn my dad into a druggie, I'm going to burn your house down with your kids in it. So uh, they started tapering him off that week. And then the, he was down in half. Now when he's down to half the medication he was taking, you know, two weeks prior, well, he's like, man, what the fuck have I been doing? And he just quit taking the rest of them. You know, staying with the antibiotics and stuff like that he needed because of his throat and whatnot. But all the, the pain meds are just gone. One little rude comment. <laughs> and uh, three weeks later, my dad's not on meds anymore. So that that, that worked out. You know, is it the, the right technique? It fucking worked. So right or not, it worked. And, well, when we're done here. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. That'll get your that'll get your freaking attention. You get prosthetic feet, the running feet, you get all squared away, you get back to work and everything. Where how many generations are you into now uh, with the prosthetics? Well, I found the feet that work for me. I tried the bionic stuff, I tried the electronically controlled stuff, I tried all kinds of stuff. Feet that I'm running right now are made by uh, I can't remember the damn big company. They're the Triton foot from I can't remember the name of the big company now. It wasn't Willwood. Actually it is, it's Willwood. So uh, Willwood's the, the big name in the, the models I'm running is the, uh, the old models now of uh, the Triton foot. Now, what this is is a shock absorber when I walk, but the shock absorber is also in an, an air pump that's running a vacuum system. I like this system. So I stayed with it. I tried a whole bunch of other different ones. They just, none of them made me feel right. So that's that's how I get around every day. Got a couple sets. I'm breaking the shit out of them. So I got to get down to the VA and get the authorizations to get some new ones made here in the next couple of weeks. I've been kicking these for almost three years, though. Uh, and I'm, I've broken all of them except for the ones I'm wearing. And actually, they're kind of <laughs> a bunch of broken parts thrown together. But that's my own fault because I'm busy and I just haven't taken the time to go do it. But as soon as I do it, they're pretty legit on, you know, getting authorizations done. And uh, my prosthetics guy, I go see Jack and um, and get a couple more sets. But I, I scuba dive, I run, you know, I, I lift weights. You know, I'm, I'm just finished putting my fence together around my yard. Fenced in four of 32 acres by myself, and that shit wow. sucks. But uh, right now, I'm loose in my sockets, and uh, I'm not I'm not super comfortable. So I, I definitely, it's been time for a refit. And, and the only reason I, I'm uncomfortable right now is my own damn fault. Just, like I said, I've stayed busy and, yeah, I should get down there and make some new feet. Well, and I, I just haven't yet. So I'm definitely do some feet and uh, some new sizing for my socket. And I should be comfortable for the next several years after that. And the, does the sizing and the socket change because of you doing stuff and losing weight? No. Here, here's the best way I can explain it. My socket is a champagne glass. Mm-hmm. Okay. My lower leg stops about midway down my shin, so that part fits in the champagne glass. 
Well, seeing as how I don't have a toe or an ankle to where I can exercise my calves, my calf muscles are atrophying at first crazy. Now they've slowed down, uh, but they are getting smaller. And eventually they'll get down to where I basically have a post with some remnants of muscle around that post. It is my shin. So as I lose water or I lose size and density of the muscle mass down there, now what did fit tightly in that champagne glass socket now fits loosely. So the lower part, the the end uh, of my residual limb or my stump, whatever you want to call it, um, is not meant to bear weight. So when I fit in them, it's actually the sides holding me up not the bottom. So as I get smaller, the socket doesn't change because it's carbon fiber. Well, if I bounce off the bottom, I'm hitting the ground. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I can't take that pain. Uh, right. So I, it's, a, it's a game you play with hydration and, and different layers of uh, insulating socks and whatnot to keep me suspended by my sides of my shin, not on the bottom of my shin. Oh, my God. There's just so much to think about, you know, <laughs> that, that you don't, you just, nobody, you don't have a, a um, a frame of reference at all if you're not dealing with that every day. Uh, thinking about that, suspending off the sides and, and the bottom, that's definitely, you wouldn't even think about that. You would think, yeah, you just you put them in there and it fits in there snug and off you go. Well, the, the thing that threw me off the most of my new normal, um, honestly, <laughs> next time you head to the bathroom for a, a good number two, right before the moment of truth, pick your feet up off the ground. Tell me how that goes for you. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, I just got a pretty good visual of myself <laughs> falling. That was everybody, everyone listening to this right now. If they're not driving in their car, they're sitting there on whatever seat they're on, like in some office or whatever, and they're looking down at their feet, like, and they're picking them up off the floor. I know exactly what all of you are doing right now. I can hear it. <laughs> so uh, that was just a weird thing, you know. The first time I get out of bed, it's like, man, brother got to poop. So you know, I'll get in the chair and then you know, scoot over to the bathroom and, and slide over, you know, transition over to the, the toilet seat. And I'm okay. I have to. I, I definitely have to go. It, it's been like a you know two days now. Mm, it's coming. And I'm like, what the hmm. fuck? What? Just you know, different muscles firing at different times, and, and nothing's going the way. I want it. So it, it, it took a bit of focus. It wasn't just a sit and drop white, get out of here. It, it, it took a lot of focus uh, the first several times. And, and that's just the oddest feeling. You know, I mean, it's not like you're doing a squat while you're taking a dump, you know, but your feet are on the ground. So now all of a sudden I don't have feet to put on the ground. I'm just suspended on a chair. That was just the oddest feeling. And that's just the one thing that stuck out like early on. Man, my entire life is different right now. This blows. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Like I said, that was just the, the, the thing that just jumped out at me immediately. I mean, obviously, I'm in a chair or, or a bed or, or, or whatever. And, you know, I got to figure things out. You know, hopefully I get some sticks soon, you know, whatever. I got to figure out a way to take a dump and relax because that's been my throne with a stack of, you know, magazines, you know, hot rod bike stuff, hot rod truck stuff, whatever. Uh, and, and that's my little... I can close the door and tune the world out, turn my phone off and just chill for you know, 15, 20 minutes, you know, whatever, before your legs start going numb. But right now I cannot relax at all. So that, that, that took a, some serious focus to be able to relax again. So you know, just weird shit like that. It's just different. Yeah. So while all of this is going on and you're coming back and you're going to Walter Reed and everything else, what uh, is going on with Axe? Well, Axe had a huge role 
and my speedy recovery and my speedy get the hell out of there from Walter Reed. I was down there in, or up there, whatever, Walter Reed for probably a solid three weeks. You know, the first week and a half, two weeks of surgeries and, and medicated and knocked out. And, you know, then we had some infection, more surgery, you know, everything else. So by the time that stuff was passed and I could actually like function through the day, you know, my old team's aren't, you know, is, uh, Took, took over the dogs and you know when he left the team sergeant job he came over and took over the dogs the canines and he's like hey bro uh can i bring axe up there do you want axe up there i was like hell yeah we worked it out with walter reed and got to go outside you know whatever else and uh they brought axe out and went from there that was just monumental to me um you know they brought him up there you know he's in the back of a pickup truck with camper shell on it you know and he's just in the air crate you know so they pulled up and they got you know several folks out there you know a couple guys taking pictures whatever it's like oh we all want to be there for this and uh you know open the uh the flap and the tailgate for the uh, back of the pickup truck just the gov you know one of the work trucks you know i heard axe spinning in the kennel you know just a crazy malinois you know they opened the kennel up and grabbed hold of his collar and put a leash on it but he was still like facing away from me you know the the nose of the truck was kind of towards me so the 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 bed of the truck was facing away from me i just where's my boy and all the crazy scurrying claws on the ground you know turn 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 twist get me out of here stop and he jumped off the bed of the truck and just went on a search and sniff you no sniff you no there you are and he just jumped on me and i'm in a chair with my legs sticking like you know straight out <laughs> that shit hurt <laughs> the whole bottom <laughs> yeah i got bottomed out by a 70 pound malinois this you know mad crazy mad separation anxiety uh and just lunged you know dove on me basically so it definitely didn't feel good but i didn't really give a shit that was just awesome to see him you know we got to hang out for the better part of the day you know and he said okay you got to go back to bed we're gonna put you know axes and we're gonna take him away uh, we'll bring it back tomorrow. All right, cool. They did. And, you know, I went through another couple of weeks. You know, I started getting feet sized up, whatever. And then they brought him up for another visit, you know, a couple of weeks later. And that was awesome. Just got to hang out for the day. They just said, yeah, you can keep him overnight. No big deal. And uh, I had to get him back the next day. And they brought him out of there. And uh, next time it came, Mark said, uh, hey, bro, group commander says it's cool if I leave Axe up here with you. Can can you take him? Wow. Do you want him? Or, yeah, let, let me check. <laughs> so I checked a few folks that mattered. And they said, yeah, it was cool. So I did. And Axe stayed the rest of the time of Walter E with me and that was the that was another you know last ditch you know end of the day I'm done I hit the bed like I gotta take these fucking feet off and then Axe is sitting right there like hey let's go do something like oh fuck <laughs> I know you need to go out buddy get, give me a minute you know and it took a few minutes to take the pressure off my legs for a little bit and alright back downstairs and uh, you know go outside and throw the ball for a few minutes or, or, or just something and then come back upstairs and that's now the end of my day you know drop some food for him you know get in bed watch a little bit of TV X jumps in bed with me and we just crash out so that was a huge, you know, when I, I pushed pretty hard on my own. And at the end of the day, I had to push a little bit more just to take him back outside. Now, that was awesome. That was huge. That's pretty awesome. That's really cool. So now he's retired. What occupies your time these days? These days, uh, I guess talking about the fence a minute ago, uh, I'm, 
Uh, I, I got 32 acres, new house. That's uh, they hate it when I use the term gift house. <laughs> but uh, there's an organization called Jared Allen's Homes for Wounded Warriors, and yeah. he started calling me several years ago. Hey, you know, we want to build your house. You know, they were talking to my dad actually at a golf tournament, saying, Hey, you know, this is who we are. This is what we want to do. If you know anybody, you know, special operations type guy uh, that's you know injured, you know, you know, kind of mention this and uh, see if we can. He says, Well. Uh, my son. So I don't know who's your son. His old Ranger, Green Beret, uh, double amputee from Afghanistan, and he lives in North Carolina. Uh, can we get his number? So they started calling. We started chit-chatting. And I was like, hey. So um started chit-chatting with him and told me what he's doing. I said, hey, bro, honestly, I'm good. I said, what? I said, man, there's some, you know, E3 on his first tour got blowed up, and, you know, and, and got a wife and two or three kids. It's just me and Axe, man. I, I'm good. Uh, I, I own a house. Uh, I'm looking to sell it soon and build my retirement house, and, and that'll be it. And said, well, that's what we want to do. I said, yeah, I'm good. So about six months later, he calls me back. He says, hey, we still want to build you a house. So I gave him all the contact information for all the young dudes I remember from Walter Reed. Uh, sent him on a basically a wild goose chase or whatever. Just, you know, these guys could use a house. They're young dudes. You know, I've, I've lived a, a, a pretty awesome life. I've been decent with my money. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. So, um, you know, I called him back again. I said, hey, bro, check it out. I'm just going to build a house. And if you move into it, you move into it. Uh, but <laughs> that's, that's, how we're, that's where we're at right now. Because I called every one of them dudes who gave me contact information. Somebody's already taken care of them. The Semper Fi Foundation, All-American, whatever. The Rangers Lead the Way Foundation. You know, somebody's taken care of all them dudes already. Um, we're, we're just going to build you a house. And if you want to move into it, cool. I was like, well, shit, okay, let's do this. Um, so they took care of me. Nice piece of property. It's completely wooded. I, I started cutting trees down, cleared uh, about a four-acre center section of the 32 total acres. They built a phenomenal house on it, and now I'm just adding to it. You know, I just fenced it in uh, so I can, you know, access fine without a fence, but the other, you know, two of his puppies are not good without a fence yet. Uh, through a, a nonprofit that I work with, I befriended the uh, owner of the the uh, the uh, founder, uh, owner of the company, great guy taking care of me on multiple levels. He had the idea to do service dogs, and he said, uh, I want to do service dogs, but no matter how much money I throw at these fuckers, they won't bump me on the list or anything. I'm trying to get a service dog for this guy, uh, Brendan Morocco. Uh, he was the first quad amputee, uh, and he was the double arm transplant, so now he is no longer a quad amputee. He has hands, which is huge. So we had to get him a special dog because he was he's not very strong. You know, these, these are not his, you know, elbow and wrist and hands. So he had to have a dog that was turnkey off lead. Uh, so the, the guy who runs this organization, uh, Faraday's Troops First Foundation, his name's Rick Kell. I says he he loved Axe. Just couldn't get enough of Axe. Uh, I actually let him babysit Axe overnight once, and he was like, "That was the greatest thing in the world." But it, I want to do service dogs, but I want to do service dogs like Axe. That you know the energy level, you know, and and some some type of protection work for these guys because not everybody gets around like I do. We're, we got guys missing, you know, multiple limbs, wheelchair ridden, you know, forever kind of thing. I want to do. I want to give them a dog that's a service animal that is also able to protect them. Uh, because they are not able to protect themselves in certain circumstances. So I was like, no, I know a guy. So I turned him on to the guy that SF has the contract through, the Alpha Dog Folk, and they put him with another guy named Jesse, and uh, he and his wife, uh, Jesse and Tiffany, uh, they run an organization called Josephine, 
canine services, and we have been providing dogs out of Europe primarily uh, to Troops First Foundation for their service dog program. Uh, we've placed, I think, 35 or 36 dogs now. Leroy Petrie, Medal of Honor winner, Ranger, you know, the, the mm-hmm. electronic hand salute. Uh, he has one of these dogs. And I've met that dog. One of the, yeah, you, that's, that's one of the dogs that uh, came from Troops First. I worked at Canton Police Department in Ohio, where we have the Football Hall of Fame, and Leroy yeah. comes uh, with a um, organization here that provides chiropractic care for uh, wounded vets. Um, yeah. uh, one of my buddies in the canine uh, knows Leroy from the Rangers, so we always get to hang out. Yeah, real nice dude and real nice dog. But yeah, the, his dog is named Tommy. Uh, actually, that dog was supposed to go to another old ranger, now SF guy. He is going through so many surgeries and whatnot. Foreseeable future is not, it, it, it ended up being taking care of a dog, you know, and it was basically mm-hmm. his folks doing it. So we, we not we didn't take the dog back, but they gave the dog back, said, hey, this dog can go to, to somebody who can actually use them because right now uh, it, it's just not, you know, right now it's a task to take care of the dog and the dog's not providing a service for us and, and this dog needs to do something so we took that dog back and that was tommy and that is leroy's dog now that's great man that's cool how that that story came around so that you're going to build a kennel out there i know before we started recording you told me 15 15 runs you're going to put in there yeah uh 15 kennels uh you know we're going seven by seven a doggy door that mm-hmm. leads out to an outside run that I can control access to or whatnot. Just in, in my circumstances, especially right now when I'm not super comfortable because the cathedral hall broke, um, mm-hmm. being having to go out there and break these dogs three times a day every day, uh, especially these dogs, I can do it a little bit. I can't do it three times a day every day. Uh, I have to have a way to just open a latch and allow them to go, uh, you know, get a little bit of exercise, uh, use the bathroom, whatnot, just lounge outside for a little bit kind of thing. So uh, it's a good size facility, a lot of storage for all the stuff you need storage for, for a small kennel. Uh, I don't plan on growing any more than that. And uh, honestly, uh, I've sold all the puppies um, that I've had thus far. Like I said, to cover my expenses, not not trying to start a business to uh, you know, get loaded off of. And the only reason I'm going this far with it is because Rick's been such a great friend to me and a whole bunch of other dudes. Uh, and I believe in his dog program. And it started from Axe. That's the only reason I'm even getting this far into it. I'll continue to sell some of the puppies. We've got good bloodlines. i uh, got a couple of new dogs coming behind Axe. It's really good bloodlines as well. Multi-purpose dogs. So they're, they're on it. Uh, good titles and everything else. So I'll sell the puppies for, like I said, to cover my costs. And uh, I'll be basically selling the puppies uh, as I train them. They don't need all this stuff like I've been doing before. They don't need detection. They don't need tracking. We're basically starting them on an article guard program. And what we do is we take that article and transfer it into a human. So it's a human guard program now. And that's pretty much uh, how we've been doing it. Always looking for new and exciting avenues to, to get that done. But that seems to be working the best for us because these guys don't need an offensively trained apprehension dog. They need someone if you get within a certain distance and you're not cool, they can make you back up. And then once you back yeah. up, they just go back to the little three-foot circle, just standard article guard, KMPV, shuts and tight stuff. That's amazing. <clears throat> what do you think of the whole breeding business, man? Do, uh, <laughs> is it what you thought or do you just do your own little thing or do you hate it? Well, uh, the breeding side of it I think is awesome. Training puppies, I think, is beyond awesome. But I've been around the dog breeders and business 
folks, uh, dog breeders, enough to know that I don't want to do that. <laughs> so uh, I, I would uh, encourage you to keep that mentality. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I definitely do not want to be in the dog business. You know, if you want to get shit talked about you every time you leave the room, go ahead and start a, a dog business. <laughs> and that, that is yep. not the direction I want to go in. That's not, you know, I don't want to compete with anybody else. You know, you want to buy my dog, you want to buy this guy's dog. Because I know when I'm not here, he's going to be telling you what a piece of shit dog I have, and you shouldn't buy from me. <laughs> so right. I, oh, I, yeah. I don't want to get... Uh, I like having friends that are actually friends. I don't want to have friendly folks that as soon as I walk away, they're going to talk shit about my, my business, my dogs, me, you know, my wife or, you know, anything else. Definitely do not want to get into the canine industry. Uh, the only reason the kennels are even coming up the way they are, I'm providing really high energy uh, pets for some folks. And, and I honestly, I talk most folks out of buying one of my dogs. You know, I had a good friend of mine said, oh, you know, yeah, later I want one. I was like, mm, trust me, you don't. Oh, no, man. Uh, you, you're thinking of Axe. Axe is completely awfully. I put a leash on him to make other people feel better, but I, I don't use a leash on Axe. Uh, he's 12 years old now. He's not near as, as bouncy. And, and wild as he once was, and he's 100% controlled. And I, I use a leash to make other people feel good. Like I said, the, that's what they're thinking of is acts. They're not thinking of they're not thinking of puppies that are not enjoying. <laughs> they're not yeah. thinking of uh, a, 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 a Scud rocket, you know, or, or, or you know, Patriot missile because Scuds kind of suck. They don't fire all the time. But a, a Patriot <laughs> missile with no fucking fins. Uh, <laughs> until you have some training behind them, that's exactly you have no fins, no control and you know one like i said a, a friend of mine was trying to get one and i was like bro you live in an apartment no <laughs> no not a fucking no, chance no. dude I, I value our friendship and i don't want you to just hate me uh after you know the first three months with this you know three to six month old puppy you should name him new couch because you'll be buying one <laughs> no not a good idea. <laughs> yeah um, I, I talk most folks out of my dog unless the scenario is adequate. You know, you got a couple acres, you got a fence, you have time. Now, if you're going to be working all day long and you're going to leave your wife and the kids with this dog, not a great idea either uh, unless you have ground rules established because you actually have to talk about raising these dogs. You can't have daddy being, you know, uh, the, the only mean one that gives any kind of uh, disciplinary action to the dog. And then every time you leave, well, mom just lets him do whatever. And the kids are like, ah, pull his hair, pull his tail. You know, mm -hmm. no, uh, unless the situation's right. It's like, yeah, I got a farm, you know, and I just kick around all day, either on a tractor or a full wheeler and hang out with my dog and my dog just died. Well, I'll tell you what, buddy, this would be an awesome one to do that with. <laughs> right. So that's more what I'm doing. Yeah, just doing one litter a year. Now with this service dog thing I'm, I'm getting into with Rick, likely going to be picking up uh, after a year or so. We'll see. You know, may, maybe I'll stay with one litter a year. Maybe I'll be doing two litters a year. We'll, we'll see. The the uh, service dog stuff with Rick, the Troops First, is that self-funded or you guys fundraise? The Troops First Foundation raises funds for multiple things. So the fundraiser isn't specifically for the canines or this guy getting a canine. The money's there through the foundation. And if we find a guy who fits what we're looking for and, and, and this dog could benefit him, the money's there. We just do it. But part of it is we send Jesse from Jessiphany over to basically train the guy on how to drive this Ferrari. Mm -hmm. 
Because it's not an 86 Toyota pickup truck. This is a Ferrari. You, you understand that. We're getting, you know, high title dogs from Europe right now. Uh, it is absolutely getting a Ferrari, and we don't want you to mess this Ferrari up. So we teach you how to shift the gears. We teach you how to do different things with them, do's and don'ts. And so the, the money's there because of the foundation. Like I said, we, we don't, we're not doing like 20 dogs a month or anything like that. These are very specific, and the dog is tailored to the individual needs of that guy. We have a guy who is missing his left leg and his left arm. So typically you want to have the dog to your left and hold the leash with your right. However, he has to manipulate his wheelchair. So we train the dog on the opposite side. And seeing as how he's in a wheelchair most of the time, we train the dog on how to hit the little door opening buttons on uh, handicap entrances and exits and whatnot. The, the dogs are tailored specifically for the guy that they're going with. So it, it's a, a month or so long process at least to get to pick a dog and have him G'd up for that particular guy's needs. And then, uh, you know, a good couple of days, week of uh, train up. And then six months later, a little follow-up train up. Uh, and then we do an exercise every year. Uh, these, these are canine battle buddy program. We have the battle buddy games. If you want to want to make anything faster make it a competition so that's kind of what we do <laughs> now, yeah. now i like it now, some bite work is involved but again not offensive it's all the stuff that we're making these dogs do simple things get out of a car must not try to drag the hammer with them because <laughs> some people are missing parts and can't get dragged you know so they're scored they're graded we set up a scenario and then all of a sudden we have a guy you know accost the the veteran and uh the dog must do these things because you should have been training on these things because that's what we gave you the dog who was capable of these things you just have to upkeep it we, we make it a competition you know trophies awards plaques presentations big thing up there in uh in wisconsin that's you know every year i'm looking forward to going back up there here in uh in july beginning of august that sounds pretty cool man i like that that's different yeah that's de- definitely uh, a lot of work going into you have multi-faceted things you got to do there and then add the protection on top of it so that's that's pretty interesting is there you have any um any websites or social media you want to plug? You know, I have a, a Facebook page, just uh, MSG, Master Sergeant Chris Corbin. Some of the goofy stuff I get into, uh, I, I go in there. I've been back to Afghanistan a couple of times since I've retired with the Troops First Foundation, doing an Operation Proper Exit, lots of blows up pictures. Uh, this is always the, the funniest part, and I always chuckle when I start talking about it. I'm actually a, a, a fairly was, uh, still kind of am. I haven't been involved in a while. Uh, a pretty accomplished and ranked ballroom dancer so I've, I've played with Tony Delviani and, and Maxim and Val Chemerowski at the Dancing with the Stars folks done uh, you know several things with them uh, uh, the Fred Astaire Dance Studios down all around Florida uh, Fort Walton Beach is the, the one that I was at when I was in Eglin because it's right there and uh, the 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 husband and wife that run that are awesome. The lady who runs all of the uh, Fred Astaire Dance Studios, Miss Luann, she's beyond awesome. Actually, I think her, she owns half of them. Her ex-husband owns the other half. I can't remember his name right now. But uh, I've met him a few times. He's you know, great guy, whatever, but they're no longer married. But Miss Luann's who I uh, was introduced to and uh, grown to, got to know pretty well, and she's awesome. But yeah, so all the, the Dance with the Stars stuff or 
the skydiving with my dog stuff, all, all that stuff goes on that uh, Facebook page. It's just Master Sergeant MSG Chris Corbin. So that's about as much of a plug as I get out. So um, I actually have an Instagram. I kept getting locked out of it, though. I think I have four pictures that I've posted on Instagram. So I'm not <laughs> the Instagram guy. When I get bored enough and actually have some free time, I might figure out how to get onto it again and uh, maybe post some cool stuff, whatever. But uh, I don't dislike it. I just, every time I try to log into it, it told me that that wasn't a password and I had to reset everything. I was like, I ain't got time for this shit. So I, I just haven't been <laughs> on it very much. I've actually so, had an so Instagram how- page for like four or five years, maybe. And I have four pictures that I've posted on it. So, yeah, yeah I'm not, not a big not Instagram guy. Just, just for convenience, I'm not a big Instagram guy. Yeah. Wouldn't mind being on Instagram because I see some cool stuff on there. I'd like to add to it. Not a Facebook page is where I put most of that stuff at. Cool. How many civilian jumps you got now? Well, civilian jumps with axe, two. Um, dozens of civilian jumps on my own. But when I jump with axe for now, uh, I, I still jump tandem. Not trusting myself. I've been a skydiver for years, decades. Not not near as many as uh, a bunch of other folks that are um, I, I play around with. I mean, they're in the tens of thousands. I'm in the low 200s. But uh, I jump with axe. I don't know if you've seen that video. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And uh, the 60 minutes bit and whatnot. Right. Um, the, the Yeah. So most recently, that was last year in October. I do a lot of stuff with uh, some celebrities. I, I go hang out with George Strait, you know, at least once a year. So this past October, we actually skydived together again with Axe onto George Strait's golf course. That was pretty entertaining. So <laughs> next time we're going to do it, we're going to have a do with a bike suit down there so I can cut Axe loose and he can go nuke him in front of everybody. So we think that'll be pretty entertaining. So no, we, we not, haven't had the opportunity and haven't taken the opportunity to go do that very often. But yeah, Axe and I have two jumps together now. I like it. I like it. So you got a C license probably and you got to get him his A license and then <laughs> you guys can get a pro license and jump into stadiums. There you go. Uh, yeah. dude, I, I've never even went past my A license. I have a number of <laughs> but I've never actually gotten past the A license. So, I yeah. mean, technically I still have to wear a helmet and all that shit. So, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, man, I loved it. I really appreciate you taking yeah. out a couple hours of your night, man. I know. No, man, anytime, people. man. I appreciate the thought and the consideration and uh, just chit-chatting a little bit. It was uh, yeah, it's good shit, Excellent. especially if yeah, I get we... a chance to snub a little bit of uh, 275 and 375 guys. <laughs> well, of course. Uh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> They're going to be Next time, we, if we get any of them on there, they'll have, yeah, they'll have rebuttals. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we super appreciate it, man. For everybody listening, be sure to uh, hit up the Facebook pages, hit up the Instagram pages and also go to patreon uh eric what do you got that's it man we got uh, hrd more uh, high-risk deployment canines training seminars coming up get on that website check it out jump in there man we do some good stuff the dogs yeah, just all busted into my room so yeah about this time point about the time this uh uploads we will be shortly on our way to uh blue line in pittsburgh joe and matt who you guys probably just listened to that interview so we're there if you're there come over and say hi to us but yeah until then uh chris thanks a lot man it's been awesome no anytime man. thanks for having me yep thank you. you soon bye-bye we love USA Canine Dog Toys. They are inspired by military objects and built to withstand the demanding use of professional canine handlers. USA Canine Dog Toys are made in the U.S. from adorable super chewer rubber compound. Ted and I love them and use them all the time. Go check them out at www.usa-k9.com. Use the promo code K9PRO. Everybody loves stuff that goes boom. 
And we couldn't talk about stuff that goes boom without talking about Tripwire Operations Group. They're some of the best in the industry at stuff that makes loud noises and blows stuff up, specifically for guys in this podcast. If you're handling an explosive dog or you're a trainer of an explosive dog, they have one of the most well-rounded, ready-to-go kits in the correct amounts and odors for any national standard or state standard certification. Head over to tripwireops.org to check it out. They're headquartered in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and a group of first responders dedicated to serving first responders. They believe that the most highly trained and prepared first responders create a safer America. They prepare you guys and other first responders and military to protect our country by providing products, services, training, and relationships which together no one else provides. In fact, they've done several HME large hide courses recently, which is a really valuable thing for explosives handlers because you're not really able to get that much odor in one place at one time safely, and these guys do a fantastic job. Be sure to head over to tripwireops.org and check out the full list of classes they've got going on and have contact info there on the website. Again, tripwireops.org. Since 1987, Bill Heiser and Southern Coast Canine have been providing better training, better service, and better dogs. Bill personally hand-selects every dog in Europe to ensure that the quality is always up to his standards. Every employee at Southern Coast Canine is charged with being a guardian of their values. Those values guide both their business and personal relationship. They believe that their dedication to the fundamental tenets of honesty, integrity, and fair business dealings ensure a legacy of success. So when you or your canine unit is looking for that dog, the one that will perform at the highest level, be sure to give Southern Coast Canine a call at 877-903-DOGS. That's 877-903-3647. Let them know that Eric and Ted from Working Dog Radio sent you. You got your reasons I got my wants Still got that feeling but I'm too old to die young now Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.